Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Gainesville, Georgia. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Hannah Trulove was born on May 18, 1996. When she was seven years old, her parents Mona and Jeff separated. Following their divorce, Hannah lived most of her life with her mother Mona at the Lake Lanier Club Apartments, which was a gated complex in Gainesville. As you can guess from the name, the Lake Lanier Club Apartments are just off of Lake Lanier. In fact, you can see the lake from one of the apartment complex's two pools. And I'm talking fancy pools, like the kind of fancy where it's not just a regular shape. It's like abstract fancy. The whole place is just flat out nice. The grounds are beautiful. There are mountain views. And it's one of those places where you might even forget that crime even exists. It's a little bubble where things like that kind of feel like it only happens to other people. But as we'll learn in this case... No one and no place is immune from the evils of this world. Although Hannah spent most of her time living with her mom, she was still extremely close with her dad. Jeff described his daughter as shy, sweet, and innocent. She was your quintessential daddy's little girl who loved to help him out in his auto shop. If you didn't know anything about her, you might assume she was just your typical girly girl, but I will be damned if she couldn't list any tool you needed and what you needed it for. Those memories of working in the shop with his baby girl are something that Jeff will cherish for the rest of his life. In May of 2012, Hannah celebrated her sweet 16th birthday. It was the start of her grown teen years, and her mom Mona couldn't have been more proud of the young woman she had become, calling her a caring and loving young lady with a bright mind and a great sense of humor, adding she was a very unique individual in the best way. Hannah had been playing around with different hair colors, going in between blonde and brunette, and let me tell you, it did not matter. This girl was absolutely stunning either way and had the biggest blue eyes. According to her Twitter, she loved gymnastics, singing, and music, specifically U2, and she probably would have been so pumped in 2014 when they forced their entire Songs of Innocence album on everyone who owned an iPhone. A few days after turning 16, Hannah finished her sophomore year of high school, and I don't know if you remember the summer vacation when you turned 16, but let me remind you. This was the land of teenage hopes and dreams, especially for a 16-year-old living on a lake. She was going to have endless free time to hang out with her friends, listen to her favorite music, and lay out in the Georgia sun. For reference on the vibe at this point in time, that summer was going to be filled with speakers blasting Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen and Work Hard, Play Hard by Wiz Khalifa. The cherry on top of all of that was that Hannah's freedom was about to grow exponentially. Her father, Jeff, was going to be teaching her how to drive, and according to Hannah's Twitter, she was looking forward to kissing the school bus goodbye and saying hello to student parking. In mid-August of 2012, Hannah started her junior year at Gainesville High School. Her principal later told ABC she had a very supportive group of friends she hung around. She was a sweet young lady, very mannerable and respectful. The school's counselor, among others, added that Hannah was a gentle spirit who was calm and just seemed to love life. 
To sum up everyone's descriptions of Hannah, she was a calm and gentle soul that wasn't one to rock the boat and just wanted to make sure everyone felt loved, respected, and was happy. She was thoughtful and kind. She was also at the age where she was starting to think about what she was going to do after high school, and it seemed like a complete no-brainer. Of course, a girl like Hannah loved animals, specifically her cats and her Yorkshire Terrier. The big picture dream was that one day she would become a veterinarian. But again, the evils of this world would steal that dream from her before she ever got the chance. On August 20th, Jeff picked Hannah up from the apartments to go back to school shopping. Because it's just not cool to have your dad following you around at 16 when you're trying to buy clothes, he gave her $300 in cash to spend all by herself at the mall. Having listened to enough true crime, you might think that this is where things go awry, but it's not at all. Hannah had a blast, she got what she wanted, and then let her dad know that she was done. After finishing up the shopping, she and her dad went to dinner at a Mexican restaurant nearby, and once they were done, Jeff and Hannah headed out, dropping Hannah off at her mom's apartment complex at around 7 p.m. On no planet, anywhere in the entire universe, would it have even occurred to him that he would never see his daughter again. Three days later, on the morning of Thursday, August 23rd, Hannah got up early and started getting ready for school. Between 6.30 and 7 a.m., Mona talked to Hannah through her bedroom door before heading off to work. And just like Jeff, Mona could have never known that their message through the bedroom door would be the last time she would ever hear her daughter's voice. Hannah made it to school that day, and everything was as normal as it could possibly be. She went to class, talked to her friends, and after the last bell rang, she headed back home to the apartment complex. At around 4 p.m., neighbors saw her walking toward the picnic tables, which was an area that she and other teens liked to hang out at. This particular day, it looks like she stayed there for about three and a half hours or until as late as 7.30 p.m., which wasn't unusual for Hannah at all because socializing as a 16-year-old is pretty high up on the list of priorities. However, her dad would later tell Nancy Grace that he thinks Hannah was out there for so long that day because she didn't want to see her mom when she got home from work, which was usually around 7.30 or 8 p.m. Jeff said that Hannah and Mona had been arguing about Mona not letting Hannah have a cell phone. While Hannah was at the picnic table area, she was seen with other teenagers from the complex, and she was also seen talking to someone out in the parking lot. The gender and identities of those seen with her that day have not been released to the public. When Mona got home from work that evening, she opened the door to an empty apartment. Hannah was not there, but Mona didn't think much of it because Hannah regularly hung out and did her own thing in the vicinity of the complex. But when it started to get dark out and Hannah still hadn't come home, Mona started to worry. For reference here, the sun set that night at 8.12 p.m. At around 9 p.m., Mona called Jeff and asked if Hannah was with him, but he said no. Roughly an hour or so later, Hannah still wasn't home, so not knowing what else to do, Mona called 911 and reported her 16-year-old daughter missing. 
When asked if Hannah had ever not come home before, Mona said no, making it clear that Hannah did not have a history of running away and was always home by dark. After getting off the phone with police, Mona called Jeff back to let him know that she had officially reported Hannah missing. Jeff later told Nancy Grace that Mona thought Hannah had run away because of the phone argument, but Jeff didn't think so. He reminded Mona that Hannah didn't have any friends with cars, so she couldn't be riding around with them. She had to be at the complex somewhere. Jeff called Mona back every hour to see what was going on and told Nancy Grace that Mona seemed convinced that Hannah was with a friend. But again, Jeff wasn't so sure. He didn't think it was like Hannah to just up and leave without saying anything. And that being said, as a mom, I can see why Mona might have been clinging to the idea that Hannah had run off voluntarily, because every other option is too painful to even try and entertain. Jeff was being a realist, and I think that Mona was being an optimist. And I can't even begin to imagine the pain that must radiate through your entire soul when optimism looks like your child running away. The Gainesville Police Department was the lead agency assigned to investigate Hannah's missing persons investigation, but they wasted absolutely no time asking help. They brought in the GBI or the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. According to the Gainesville Times, investigators woke up Hannah's friends that lived at the apartment complex and asked if they had seen Hannah, but no one had since 7.30 p.m. that evening. Unfortunately, there was no surveillance in the area where Hannah was last seen, so officers searched for Hannah in the general area around the entire apartment complex. What they did not do was bring in any dogs to thoroughly search the woods behind the apartments, something that may have changed the course and timeline of this entire investigation immediately. From the outside looking in, it does seem like they were investigating Hannah's case as if she was a runaway. Though to be fair, there wasn't any evidence at that point in time to indicate that foul play was involved. But foul play was painfully and undeniably involved. The night was long and Thursday turned into Friday and there was still no sign of Hannah anywhere. Trying to take a different approach, investigators went to the high school to talk to her friends but none of them had heard from Hannah since the day before. In fact, all of their messages had gone unanswered, which was completely unlike Hannah, who was an extremely social person. I mean, she was the definition of extrovert. Later that evening, at around 7.30 p.m., a man who was visiting family at the Lake Lanier Apartments went for a walk behind the complex. When he was about 100 yards or one football field away from the picnic area, he saw what he thought was a mannequin down at the bottom of a ravine. And it has never, ever been a mannequin. The man walked closer and quickly realized that what he was looking at was not a randomly placed store prop, it was an actual human body. He immediately called 911. When Gainesville police arrived on scene, it took no time to determine that the body in the woods belonged to missing 16-year-old Hannah Truelove. She had been stabbed multiple times. To complicate things, the ravine that Hannah's body was found in was actually right over the jurisdiction line for the city of Gainesville, so Hannah's case was reassigned to Hall County. Detective Dan Franklin was then put in charge of investigating Hannah's murder, again with help from the GBI. 
Franklin and other investigators got to work picking apart the crime scene, but as an investigative technique, they've kept very quiet about what they found. But let's talk about what they have released. On any given day, that particular ravine is usually dry with vegetation. However, and there's always a however, between Thursday night when she disappeared and Friday morning, there had been a heavy rain which created a fast-moving creek in that ravine. Because of that, Hannah's body was submerged in running water, which meant that a lot of potential evidence was washed away with it. Investigators have said they were able to collect some evidence. However, all of the blood evidence at the scene was gone. Despite the lack of physical evidence, investigators were able to make a few conclusions. Hannah was likely killed where her body was found, and she was likely led there by the killer or she went there willingly. Lead investigator Franklin later told Eleven Alive, I think there were too many people out that evening. If she was taken against her will, they would have hurt something or hurt a struggle. I feel she came to this location with somebody voluntarily, somebody she knew. The Gainesville Times further reported that the ravine is surrounded by trees and is secluded. From where her body was found, you can barely make out a few apartment balconies through the trees. However, investigators do believe that the apartment complex was so densely populated that someone likely saw or heard something while Hannah and the killer were in the woods. One investigator told Nancy Grace that they believe the killer knew the area. The walking paths through the woods are informal paths used by residents and visitors at the complex. They frequently take the paths down to the lake to go fishing or to just go for a walk. The paths are not typically used by the general public. In addition to searching the wooded area, investigators also looked in the dumpsters at the complex, but they didn't find anything. They also interviewed Hannah's family and friends. According to Channel 2, Jeff theorized that Hannah's killer rode her bus. He said that Hannah sometimes wouldn't go to school and cited the main reason as being the bus. Aside from the freedom that driving her own car would allow, that bus issue might explain why she was really looking forward to driving to school. Through interviews with some of Hannah's friends, investigators heard rumors about her having a secret cell phone that her mom didn't know about. Investigators later told Eleven Alive, We chased that as far as we could chase it, and we never determined that she had a secret phone. Instead, investigators said that they found that Hannah communicated with friends through a Nintendo DS. They combed through that DS, but found nothing that would help them solve Hannah's murder. Investigators also found that in the weeks leading up to her murder, Hannah had posted some ominous messages on Twitter, so let's walk through some of those. On August 12th, Hannah tweeted, I got me an ugly ass stalker. Initially, that tweet obviously seemed pretty scary considering what happened to her less than two weeks later, but after posting that message, Hannah continued tweeting typical teenage thoughts throughout the day with messages like, too many lame people live where I live. This can't be happening and hearing a voice you miss and realizing it's just some random person. She also shared her love for the Diet Coke at El Sombrero and Spongebob. 
Over the next few days, Hannah continued posting non-alarming tweets like, you act like you never had love and you want me to go without, which are actually lyrics from U2 song one, which we know Hannah loved. On the evening of the 18th, Hannah tweeted, if you put it down right, like the way I want it, baby, we could fall in love, which is a mashup of song lyrics from Brandy's Put It Down. A few hours after that, at around 9.30 p.m., she tweeted, so scared right now. 15 minutes after that, she tweeted, every time we talk, I feel sick. The next day, Hannah tweeted, I'd love to love you, baby, along with the tweet, yeah, you made a big mistake. A few days later, on the 21st, Hannah tweeted more U2 lyrics like, Did I ask too much, more than a lot? You gave me nothing, now it's all that I've got. Along with the message, I miss you boy, and you're all that I want. On the evening of the 22nd, at around 7.30pm, Hannah tweeted, I need to move out of these dang apartments. A few minutes later, she tweeted about another U2 song that she liked. The last tweet Hannah ever sent out was at 3.30 p.m. on August 23rd, the day she was reported missing and 30 minutes prior to her heading out to the picnic tables. It was a reply to one of her own tweets that simply read, Um, yes ma'am. It's a shock to no one that a lot of Hannah's tweets led people to the conclusion that she was probably going through some sort of boy troubles, but Jeff told Nancy Grace that Hannah didn't have a boyfriend or even a recent ex-boyfriend at the time of her death. However, there was a friend in the neighborhood that she liked. In regards to Hannah's tweets about the stalker and being scared, Jeff told the Atlanta Constitution that Hannah didn't tell him she was in any danger prior to her death. He said, she made no mention of anything to me, but maybe it was one of those things that kids tell to kids. Hannah's friends said that they didn't take the tweets seriously at the time. Looking back, they wish they would have talked to her about them and taken them more seriously. Investigators weren't sold on whether or not Hannah's tweets had any correlation to her murder. They first needed to figure out what Hannah meant by stalker. They told ABC that a 16-year-old's definition of a stalker might not be what Georgia law considers a stalker, which, yeah, is probably true. Either way, it was a lead that needed to be worked through because if it was something, it was going to be a huge something. While investigators were looking into any correlation between Hannah's murder and her tweets, her classmates were trying to come to terms with losing one of their own. They set up a memorial for Hannah on a massive boulder, which was typically used for messages and reminders, which sat at the front of the school. Students painted the rock with messages of love, including a gigantic Hearts for Hannah and RIP. As August turned into September, Hall County and the GBI were still working around the clock to try and solve Hannah's case. That month, investigators announced that they'd narrowed down their focus to just a few people of interest, which you now have my full attention. They said they were looking for a late 1990s to early 2000s four-door passenger car, possibly a Chevy or a Dodge, which was at the complex during the evening hours of August 23rd. The car was light silver with substantial front-end damage and a driver's side door that was either white or a lighter shade of silver. So, in other words, a distinctive ass car. Investigators believed that the people in that car had information that could help them. They said this vehicle was certainly in the area. The vehicle was seen with Hannah at one point where she possibly exited it. 
knowing that the friends Hannah's dad knew about didn't have vehicles, and hearing that she might have gotten out of this one seemed like a pretty major breakthrough. But then there was nothing. No updates, very little reporting. It was like the world carried on and the media forgot about Hannah Truelove. But her parents did not. Her friends never did, and neither did Detective Franklin. In February of 2013, Hall County investigators held a press conference where a $1,000 reward was offered for information in Hannah's case. Investigators also updated the public on where the investigation currently stood. They said that they were still looking for that silver car and also stated that Hannah's tweets did not turn out to be leads, citing them as quote-unquote teenage drama type stuff. Lead investigator Franklin later told Eleven Alive, with the help of family and friends and numerous interviews, we were able to build the context of those tweets and to vet them out. And basically, they were just her venting and there was nothing that was a legitimate threat that came from those. After the reward was offered, Hannah's mother Mona spoke publicly for the first time since her daughter's murder. She said, Hannah's family and friends have been living a nightmare since Hannah was reported missing and found murdered. Our entire family has suffered and continues to suffer every minute of that fateful evening. She said, I am haunted by Hannah's death, as any mother can understand. Please help my family by coming forward with your information, even if that information is about your son or daughter. I feel sure you know they can't come to grips with Hannah's death until they are truthful about what happened to Hannah. Adding, we can't go back and save Hannah, but we can honor her memory and bring closure to her tragic death. Unfortunately, the reward did not lead to any credible information, and the progress in her case slowed down even more. Six months later, in August of 2013, Hall County and the GBI released a statement to mark one full year since the world lost Hannah to senseless and gruesome violence. They said they were renewing a request for public assistance and finding that silver car, which may have been repaired since Hannah's murder. Remember, it was busted to shit with substantial front-end damage. Investigators said their main concern now is that basically the flow of information has stopped. But again, the media's reporting on the case continued to slow. Mona and Jeff stayed in regular contact with the Detective Franklin, hoping a break would finally come. In February of 2015, yes, we are in 2015 at this point, a press conference was held to update the public on Hannah's case. It was revealed that several persons of interest in the case had been cleared. Some had even taken polygraphs. However, investigators still hadn't made a break in the case and they were still looking for that silver vehicle. The following year, lead investigator Franklin told WSB-TV, that even four years later, he investigates Hannah's case daily. He said, I'm never going to let this go as long as I can. As long as I'm able, I'm going to keep trying to figure out how to get justice for her. He added, I have a daughter who's 17, and so I feel for her parents. I feel for her friends. And I didn't get into this business to let people who do this to children go. Franklin offered an update on the case stating, we've had several persons of interest that we've talked to that remain persons of interest. What we're looking for is somebody on the fringe, somebody who has knowledge that has a piece of information that'll open the door to these people that we've already looked at and we're not ready to discount yet. 
years later, in 2018, Franklin had been promoted to lieutenant, which usually means that you stop investigating cases. However, Franklin specifically asked that he remain the lead investigator on Hannah's case. He was allowed to stay on, and Hannah's case is his only active investigation. Franklin told Eleven Alive that he keeps Hannah's Nintendo DS near him to remember her at all times. Franklin said he believes more than one person may have been present when Hannah was killed. He said, who we try to reach is not necessarily the person that had the knife in their hand, but anybody that was present and maybe would be less culpable and didn't have as much responsibility, but was just there, maybe in a situation they didn't want to be in. In August of 2022, just a few weeks before the 10-year mark of Hannah's murder, her mother Mona tragically passed away at 56 years old. She died never knowing what happened to her daughter. At the end of that month, investigator Franklin spoke with the Gainesville Times about the case. This time, he said there's a suspect, which is a whole lot different than a person of interest and a mighty-ass step in the right direction. That being said, he said there isn't enough evidence for a conviction. And a lot of times when we hear that, we want to scream at the police or the prosecutor, but we have to remember that there's only one shot at getting justice for Hannah. If they charge someone too early and they're not confident in their ability to reach a guilty verdict, they don't get a second chance. Franklin said, we're confident we know who is responsible for her death. We've had a suspect since the beginning. Our issue is that we have a lack of evidence to tie that person to the crime. It's not to say that we have zero evidence, but we just didn't have enough. Franklin didn't go into much detail about who the suspect is, just that it's a male who Hannah knew before she died. The man was interviewed by law enforcement on two occasions, but he always maintained that he didn't have anything to do with her murder. Franklin said that Hannah's case will likely not be solved unless someone comes forward with information, if the killer confesses, or if there's an improvement in DNA technology. Franklin said, we're never going to give up, never lose hope. As long as I'm around, I'm going to keep moving forward and do what I have to do to get justice for Hannah. Hannah's father, Jeff, also spoke to the Times and said, it's been 10 years now this month and still nobody's been charged. It's kind of like Frozen waiting on somebody to make a move. Jeff hopes someone will come forward with information, if only to relieve their guilt. He said, I know it's got to weigh heavy on them, on whoever knows what's going on. Anyone with information about the murder of 16-year-old aspiring veterinarian Hannah Truelove or information regarding the vehicle in question is asked to call the Hall County tip line at 770-503-3232 or the GBI tip line at 800 597 8477. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Hannah's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. We go live regularly on TikTok to discuss all episodes and any other true crime cases on your mind. So follow me at the Heather Ashley there and tap on the bell icon so you can be notified when we go live. To get access to ad free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.
right, you guys, we are officially at the end of the episode, and it is time to share a review that made my whole ass day. This one is from Lauren Jennings and says, I truly enjoy the no small talk. And to be honest, Heather could read the dictionary and I would still listen. First of all, Lauren, my favorite person of the day, Jennings, I love you. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to do something kind. Please know that I love you and appreciate the absolute shit out of you forever and ever. Okay, I love you. Bye. 